thanks for joining us. Um, Lo uh, is joining us this week. Um, I will just do a little quick introduction and then kind of jump into uh, what identity and inclusion looks like from a trans experience within the church. Um, so Lo, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and then I will and we'll jump in. Yes, hello friends. As Leslie said, I am Lo. Um, my background, I come from a mixed family. We're German, Russian, and Choctaw, Native American. As far as like identity words, I resonate with trans or genderqueer, transmasculine. I experience gender dysphoria. I'm also bi. And uh, some background on me, I guess, is I grew up with kind of like a very reformed theological tradition, but I now work in an interdenominational campus ministry in California. And uh, on the side, I really love super nerdy pursuits like Dungeons and Dragons and cultivating plants. Nice. (laughs) I kill every plant that I touch, so keep your plants away from me or they will die. (laughs) I I will help you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, So I'm Leslie Hudson Reynolds. Um, I grew up in Texas in the 80s, so in a very conservative um, Southern Baptist church uh, in a not-so-friendly time to LGBT. And so a lot of my views on trans topics and LGBT topics, period, um, certainly go through that lens. I identify as non-binary, genderqueer, trans, um, and gay. Um, I suppose lesbian would be an accurate word, although I just don't like the word. Um, So would probably go with gay on that. Um, I'm currently uh, living in Tennessee, and I uh, am the gender identity ministry director for Posture Shift, and also am newly uh, taking care of our donor relations. So that's kind of who I am. Um, Josh and I met through Posture Shift. So um, for today, uh, we're going to be talking about inclusion and uh, identity and what that means from a Christian trans perspective. Uh, Josh has given us the freedom that we've never had before, honestly, to not have to uh, explain what all these words mean. So he he used a wonderful word, cisplain. um, And I automatically want to say, okay, and cis means, like, I can't even get through saying that we don't have to do it without wanting to explain what that means. So um, I guess uh, you'll have to go back to other episodes or, you know, use good old Google if you don't understand some of the stuff we're saying, because Josh has given us the freedom to just kind of have this conversation as two people who experience dysphoria and identify as trans and, and what that's like. Um Um, So I guess uh, probably the best place for us to start out would be just how do we experience identity? What does that look like for us? Uh, What what does gender identity mean to you? Oh, man. Um, Gender (laughs) identity. I, um, you know, I mean, when I hear the word gender, of course, I think of, you know, the socially constructed characteristics, (laughs) roles, presentation, etc. So usually, though, when I think of gender, I think of like how I experience me and like the me that I understand internally and also the me that is like perceived by others. Um, And I definitely relate to gender as something like very separate from my biological sex. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that uh, gender can also be a gift, I think. Sometimes I'm just really like grateful for the parts of myself that I think contribute to this label trans <laughs> and like um, the parts of me that don't always feel like they necessarily fit with my body, whether it be like some of the interests I have or the ways I feel most comfortable like dressing or being perceived or some of 
the ways that I relate to other people that I feel like um, fit into a more masculine definition of gender, I, I really like those parts of me, <laughs> and, so, mm-hmm. and I enjoy them, and I'm glad that they're, um, yeah. Yeah, and so you mentioned that uh, social construct and that, that that's kind of the, the initial place that you <laughs> go to. Um, so what I find incredibly um, challenging and interesting, specifically with gender versus um, how we experience our, our biological sex or our sex assigned at birth, is that culturally, from culture to culture, it could be very different. So how we experience mm-hmm. our gender here in America, we could, in theory, not necessarily uh, experience quite the same way in another country. Um, are there specific constructs within America, within American culture, that you would say you feel um, would would uh, push back against who you your identity more than than others would? Um, yeah, I think definitely. I I've mentioned it earlier, but some of the ways that we delineate interest between mm-hmm. genders, like I have always resonated with what. Americans find to be more masculine interests, like mm-hmm. rough outdoor things, and so like uh, I think knives are really cool. <laughs> and it's like I love building stuff, <laughs> and like um, there's all of these, all of these kind of like really surface level, but like mm-hmm. in some ways taken very seriously, like delineations of interests that happen between genders um, in America. I think there's also I've noticed. I don't know if this is because I grew up in the church and like sometimes the church like does a lot with gender, but I think there's different ways that genders are expected to relate to each other. Um, And I feel like sometimes there's things that women do in like groups of women that I just, I'm like, what is that? (laughs) Like, I don't understand. That's not me. (laughs) But they all just seem to understand it. (laughs) And it's very confusing sometimes. Um, Yeah. So I I think of things like that. Is there, so you brought up the church, is there a way that you feel that um, the church maybe kind of creates these constructs that that we're expected to, to fit into that aren't necessarily biblical or scriptural even, that, um, that they're more societal? Uh, well, I mean, I definitely couldn't speak for all churches, but the ones I grew sure. up in and still often attend are very... Um, complementarian sorts of churches and so there are these narratives of like women are um, softer like meant to like be followers um, things like that Um, it's kind of like the motherhood image too like I never really resonated with that and not all women are mothers (laughs) you know Um, and sometimes I find men that can act on and show a lot of like things that we would call motherly (laughs) like sorts of ways to other people um i think also this expectation that like if you're a man then you're going to be like someone that's good at being up front and likes to lead and all of these things like i know a lot of men that are not that way (laughs) but um that's kind of like the narrative that i feel like i have always heard and always lived within in church spaces you know you you thinking about um kind of what the world is expecting and um and then it, it just seems that it conversation very quickly goes to bathrooms you know when it comes to to what's expected and stuff um we had a, a parent reach out to us uh, today actually saying that their child will not drink water will not have any kind of liquid during the day because they are so terrified of going to the bathroom in school um that's something that just breaks my heart um and it's they're in a stage where um 
the schools aren't necessarily helping with that. Um, I'd kind of like to unpack that and what that looks like as a, as a young person um, who's expected not only to behave a certain way, but to, to go into a bathroom with a gender that you're completely not lining up with and how, how scary that can be. Um, has that, has, not necessarily has that ever happened to you, but have you seen that, um, seen that happen with other trans people or, or um, do you have experience with that? And, and how would you, how would you maybe think about helping in a situation like that or some suggestions for parents uh, who may have a trans kid and, um, you know, who, who can't go to the bathroom during the day, uh, which is just incredibly sad. Um, yeah, it's cat. Our friend cat said once that there, as a trans person, you will never be comfortable in a, in a, uh, in a bathroom in public. And I, I think that that's kind of common that we try to avoid that, but, but just focusing on the kids, do you, um, do you have any suggestions for parents of kids who, who are just trying to help their kids get to the bathroom during the day and simple things like that. Yeah, man, <laughs> I can't even, it's just terrible, you know, <laughs> like, it's just, like, awful. I think, to me, that just, like, underlines and highlights that this is not, it's not, like, a a whim, you know, there can be a narrative mm-hmm. sometimes that, like, trans people are just, like, playing around because they want to be different or something. It's, like, that's mm-hmm. not... That is not what is happening. <laughs> and, like, right. you have kids that don't drink water all day because of, like, this core thing. And it's just, like, that's just sad to me. Um, I don't know. I guess I would just... I would ask, like, parents to recognize, like, the weight of that and, like, what their child is choosing because of the weight of that. and. I, w- I would just ask parents to like be willing to step into the weight of that and like to advocate because I know that as a parent there's a whole separate like dynamic right of like mm-hmm. shame and like how will others perceive me and my child and if I say or do this I'm sure that that's like a thing that parents think about I'm not a parent myself but um I think being willing to like bear some of that in order to advocate for your children, like it would be hard for sure. But um, I think your child is going to have to like learn to stand up for themselves in really unfortunate ways because of like things like that. And I think I would feel if I were in that position, like a lot more like centered and like anchored to know that like my parents had my back, (laughs) I guess, even if I couldn't fix it, you know? Um, I was just thinking, actually, one of my favorite coffee shops, they have a gender-neutral bathroom, and I always use that instead of one of the other two. And the last time I was there, I actually thought about, I was like, I want to tell them how glad I am that this is here. (laughs) I didn't, because I realized as I was walking out, I was like, they probably don't even, like, they're just like, sure, this is not an issue, (laughs) you know? But, like, to me, like, it was a big deal. And so I really hope that... um, more spaces are willing to have those gender neutral bathrooms in the future if only to like protect people that are vulnerable Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um so we we mentioned that we both have dysphoria and it's that's something that 
every person experiences very differently what triggers dysphoria, whether uh, how that feels, what it's like. Um, so I guess uh, let's let's just talk about if we could just talk about like some of the different kinds of dysphoria uh, that that happen. Um, it was uh, I was on a call with a young trans person, and um, and, my, and Bill uh, Henson of with Posture Shift, and the and the young person said that uh, they do a lot of streaming uh, like gaming and stuff, and that mm-hmm. their voice more than anything triggers their dysphoria. And this was like a brand new thing to Bill. Bill had never even thought about this. And that's something that's so ingrained in me. It was like, wow, I have completely failed that I'm the gender identity ministry director. And the director of my ministry has no idea that this is a thing. So, you know, there's obviously like physical, vocal expression, the roles that we fit into. Um, what are what are some different ways that you see uh, dysphoria playing out in, in a- either yourself or other trans people? Um, yeah, and, and just kind of uh, what that looks like within the trans community. Yeah, it's funny you mention voice. I have had the thought multiple times as we were leading up to this day where I, was, I don't think I'm going to listen to this back <laughs> because, yeah, same, because same. I don't want to listen to myself. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely, I mean, it feels stereotypical to say in some ways, but I also experience like there's certain times that I avoid mirrors. Like I don't want to see my body in certain states. Like there's certain things that I just like the less I can acknowledge in my conscious daily life, like the less dysphoria I will experience. And sometimes I think that that's maybe problematic to (laughs) avoid self-perception. But at the same time, like I would like to be mentally stable. What the question was, like different kinds of dysphoria. Yeah, like different ways that you've experienced dysphoria. And I will say like the mirror thing, I have one mirror in my house other than what's in the bathrooms. And it's it's not something that I put up. Um, it's like unfortunately sitting right behind me and is in my office. And as soon as I get to redecorate my office, it will vanish. I really want to just kind of throw it off the back balcony. Um, but yeah, it's, it's incredible. You know, um, I've been asked like, what's it like to be walking? And then I'll get back to our initial question, but like, what's it like to be walking outside and then all of a sudden see your reflection? So it's like, it's one thing when you know within your own space, okay, well, if I walk by this, I'm, I, I just need to avert my eyes or whatever, but you're, you're walking into a store and all of a sudden the sun's hitting just right. So that there you are. And it's like, ah, I have female hips. This is horrible. Or, you know, whatever that, whatever that looks like. Um, Is that something that catches you off guard at times as well? Yeah, I think I have a very like strong internal perception. And so when I like, um, am not prepared for it and I like catch a glance like in a mirror or window or something like you're saying, it could be very jarring. (laughs) Like, I'm like, who is that sometimes? And it's like, no, uh, wait, no, (laughs) like we know who that is. Um, Yeah, I think like double perception can like trigger dysphoria sometimes too. Like when I suddenly become aware that another person is perceiving me in a highly gendered or incorrectly gendered way, like it, it makes me suddenly become aware of all the ways that I feel like I don't fit in my body and like heightens that somehow. Um, I've, I've been trying to like tease apart and think about like how there is dysphoria that exists even when I am around no humans. (laughs) Like it's just like, within me, but I think there's also a part of it that is, um, like comes up because of interaction with other gendered beings and how they perceive my gender or my physical like space. Um, it, yeah. It's, I, I think that it's incredibly, um, what's what I'm looking for? I, I guess we'll just say frustrating, um, that <laughs> people with the, <laughs> there's a lot of other words that would not be appropriate for this that I would like to use. Mm. Um, but it's when, you know, when you, 
share your gender identity with somebody and they're like oh no but no you you have really soft features and you have this or you have that and it's like okay oh, who understands that you have just made things a thousand times worse like you're trying to tell me that no really you're female you know and it's it's like uh, like your reaction is perfect like that was exactly it's just like you just want to crawl under the table it's like, why, why are you saying this this is so well, i've mean. had people say like really well-meaning like they thought were compliments you know and i'm like that hurts me so much please stop but it's like i don't yeah it's not they don't mean anything by it but i had someone tell me once that they really hope i get married and have kids because i have such a cute small face and i'm just like please never say that again (laughs) please that I everything you just said is stuff that I try really hard to not think about <laughs> during all of my life. So thank you. But <laughs> yeah, um, one of the things that, that sometimes we'll recommend to to teenagers is having is going to like a vocal coach to mm. to deepen your voice. Is that something that you've ever considered doing to to try and alleviate some of that? I've thought about it. I kind of, I guess part of it is like, I don't know where I would start. And then the other mm-hmm. part is there's like this part of that I'm like anxious about if I did that, like I would find out like which parts of my community <laughs> have things to say, you know, that I, I don't know if I won't, if I'm ready for that. So I've never done anything about it, but I have thought about it. And uh, in an ideal world, I think I would enjoy something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely considered it as well. There, it's funny when I'm, I'm not noticing now, because I guess because neither of us like really have a, a naturally raspy voice, but if I'm talking to a trans guy, specifically a guy on T, there's a raspiness that enters my voice that I don't even recognize that I'm doing. <laughs> um, and it's like, and I can't, I can't make it happen if it's, you know, if it's not happening. Um, but I've, I've, there've been times when like, I've gotten off the phone or gotten off a, a Zoom or something with a trans guy and then gotten on, like, immediately jumped into another call with, like, somebody from my current church, and we'll still have that going, and they're like, Leslie, do you have a cold? Like, what's going on with your voice? It's like, oh, yeah, no, never mind. How are you today? <laughs> you know? And, kind of, like, just, <laughs> yeah. just flipping. I was in an office depot the other day, and the cashier called me sir to, like, asked me to come up and like I realized halfway through the conversation that the voice I was using was like this is not my customer service I am a woman voice that I use with a lot of other people and just that um it's I guess not so much a trans issue but even just the way that women are also socialized to use Mm -hmm. their voices is a weird thing to encounter as a trans person There was, I was, one time I was recording a podcast with Preston and somebody called in and it was like an emergency call that I had to take. And, um, we might've actually just been talking. I don't even remember, but, um, and so I answered like in my Leslie voice and not in like, I I don't know, it it was my phone voice, whatever that is. And he was like, Leslie, you just sounded so cis. Like, what is that? (laughs) That that hurt. (laughs) Why did you go? Um, but okay, so we've talked about like that, like walking by mirrors and things like that can be triggers. That hearing our voice is there, and other people's perception. Are there other things that that you find that can that can be a trigger and that can um, that can be detrimental to you know we you've talked fairly openly about wanting to keep yourself safe mentally. That's something certainly that that um, you know I've I've been fairly open about as well. Um, are, are there other things that you do to um, that are, are there things that uh, can trigger you and then what what um, what steps do you have to try and keep yourself safe in those moments if you feel comfortable sharing that yeah i think um 
one of the things that I just give myself permission to do now is to avoid highly gendered spaces, not because I think that people will like overtly put pressure on me to be a particular way, but I feel like existing in highly gendered spaces just comes with its own sort of like pressure or expectation, at least in my mind to act or like be a certain way. So I'm really glad that I have great friends that are not offended when I don't want to go to their bridal shower or their baby shower <laughs> and stuff. And they're like, it's fine. We'll do something else <laughs> on our own. I'm like, thank you. Because being in that room with all of those people doing these things would really like probably throw off my ability to like experience joy for the next couple of days. Um, and I think some of the things that, you know, for all of the struggle and grief and pain that is very real and has come about because of the pandemic. I think one of the things that I have appreciated is as I was spending more time uh, alone or it just inside my house, it felt a lot easier to stop like policing my own gender presentation and to mm -hmm. just be okay with like, this is how I want to look and I'm going to look that way and I don't have to worry about anyone like saying anything about it. Um, and I feel like actually over the last year, like the amount of dysphoria that I experience and like the frequency of it has lessened somewhat because I have been able to work on just like being okay with me and like what I am comfortable like acting and looking like. And um, I didn't even necessarily realize before all the ways that I was like policing and second guessing all of my decisions um, previously. Um, and now it's kind of, uh, it has actually been a struggle as like things have started to open up in different ways again. And it's been kind of like realizing, re-realizing how like little tolerance I now have <laughs> for like the different like things and expectations that gendered expectations that I would navigate all the time before. And I didn't realize I was doing it until I didn't have to anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I think there are some ways that I want to continue to give myself permission to like not have to be in some of these spaces that I know are are not going to affect me in positive ways. Um, but for the t places where I feel like I need to be there or I need to participate in this structure or thing or I need to be around this person that like has a tendency to trigger or say certain things. Um, I have like a group of Christian friends that are just really understanding and really just accept me for who I am. And I usually will like talk it out with them later, just be like, this thing happens and it was really hard. And they're like, wow, that is hard. We love you though. And I'm like, great, thanks. Because <laughs> like, I just need people to like see it with me, you know? Sure. Um, and I can't, I can't just like automatically get rid of or skip over the feelings of dysphoria, but it is a lot easier when I have people who will like be in it with me. Um, mm. Yeah. There's uh, Kat puts it really well. She says, I want somebody to just sit in the puddle with me. I don't want you to try and get me out of the puddle. I just want you to sit in the puddle with me. I love that. Um, what if, if you could just list one or two things of what you, that you wish that people knew about dealing with dysphoria, um, what would that be if, and I know that this is not for cis people, but, um, but I think it's helpful for us as trans people to understand each other's experiences because um, for me, it's very much a physical thing. Um, 
and it's it, that that's not always the case for other trans people. So if, if there was something about dysphoria that uh, that you would like for for other trans people or or our cishet people to know, uh, what would that be? Yeah, I guess like on on a daily basis, I experience dysphoria as a kind of like mental noise, like a, a running like commentary and uh, song of emotions <laughs> that exist in the back of my brain. Um, but I think when it's like worse or really bad it's just like physical feeling of nausea or sometimes just like I'm not claustrophobic but it's what I imagine being claustrophobic mm -hmm. would feel like where I just feel like I have to get out I have to get out <laughs> like I just need to like get out of my body oh no I cannot <laughs> you know and um those are kind of like the feelings that I associate with it it has also a couple of times in the past, I think, like, the stress and not being able to, like, manage dysphoria well has tended towards also an experience of depersonalization, which is, like, really distressing. Um, but, yeah, that's how it often is for me. <laughs> yeah. So you, you talked about, like, all the different ways that, um, that it, that dysphoria makes you feel what what does alleviate that for you when when it's when it goes from being just kind of white noise to being something that's, that's really peeking through what what helps alleviate some of that for you um one thing that i i have a personal tendency where i like argue with myself mentally a lot like and it's about lots of things not just gender but it's just like oh, i have an idea over here and then i feel compelled internally to like we must question that idea these are the reasons why that's probably bad and um my therapist just told me one time he was like you know, you do that all the time. And it sounds a little bit like you give the critical voice a lot more primacy. Like, what if you just, like, mm. for a week decided to, like, say no <laughs> to that? <laughs> like, just, just, you have an idea, you have a, just let it be. And, like, you know, you can't wreck your life in a week, probably. Like, you'll be fine. <laughs> and um, I bring that up because I, I feel that way, like, in, in times where I feel a lot of dysphoria, I, I just sort of need to give myself permission to, like, uh, go do some like hyper masculine thing <laughs> or like I'm gonna you know I'm gonna wear my slides and some tall socks and my gym shorts and like I'm just gonna like bro it out of my house because it'll make me feel better you know it's like Absolutely. um just some of these things that like um I might normally like have a commentary and uh, discussion with myself before I just like do them but I just need to like let it go for a little bit because I'm not doing well. <laughs> and like mm -hmm. when I'm feeling good again, then we can we can have some some deeper thought about <laughs> what we're doing. But I just need to give myself permission to like feel better <laughs> first, <laughs> and then and then we can pick it apart if we need to. <laughs> but gotcha. yeah, does does being around? So for me, like I I will reach out to my guy friends. Like I definitely relate to the whole hyper masculine thing. Does being around like males assigned at birth does that does that help assuage some of your dysphoria or does that make it worse because i can see it going both ways with different people it does if um it is helpful to be around like my masculine men male friends um if they understand me because i feel like there are some there are some men that the presence of someone that they perceive to be a woman like causes them to act different and like to say and do different things. That's not helpful. <laughs> but but I have friends that um, 
that understand me and like accept me as I am. And then I really do enjoy hanging out with my guy friends and um, yeah. they offer me a kind of belonging that I think is really cathartic <laughs> when I'm really <laughs> not feeling well. So yes, I definitely agree. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Um, let's go a little bit into, uh, we've talked about the church a little bit, let's go a little bit into um, inclusion within the church and gender. Um, how with, within the church, how have you experienced inclusion or have you experienced inclusion? I guess would, would probably be a, um, a more accurate question to begin with. Um, I think I have in some small ways. Um, I have not always been known as low, but about a year and a half ago when I started going by this name, uh, it took me a while to work up to it, but I eventually, I, um, I do a lot of different like service or like helping out things in the church. And so my name gets put in prints in like uh, liturgy assignments and stuff like that. And so I, I went to the pastor in charge of that and said, hey, I would appreciate if you called me low in those things. Um, and he just no questions asked was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, wow, really? I expected an argument. But it was like, no, it was fine. Um, yeah, so... Um, like being able to go by the name that I prefer and that I want to be known by. Um, I've really appreciated the ways that um, my church community has just sort of accepted me in that. And sometimes people have questions, but it all has ended up okay. Um, I've also really appreciated in the Christian communities that I'm in when people just ask, like, how do you want me to refer to you? Like with pronouns and names and all these. Other, and sometimes I'm just like, what you're doing is fine. But I appreciate that they asked, you know. Um, yeah. Um, those are some of the small things. To be honest, I can't think of a lot of like big ways that I feel like I've been included. I, for me, it's been uh, the small ways have almost been more than like the grand. There have been a couple grand gestures. There was, um, we always give out, um, our church gives out gifts on Mother's Day and Father's Day to all women and then all men. And after the first Mother's Day that I was there, I thought that I was like really well understood. And one of the pastors came up and gave me like this little chocolate covered strawberry, and which is what they were giving all women. I was like, oh. I have so failed. I thought I was actually seen here and like went home and was all depressed and was all upset. And then June rolls around and they give me the cup that they're giving to all men, like the same pastor does. So like he was actually seeing me a whole lot more than I would. I had to realize that, okay, I need to start giving people credit or like instead of anticipating that kind of rejection. Um, mm. But it's, yeah. And things like um, people have come up to me and said at church and said, um, I'm so sorry. I, I used she and her for you. And I was like, when? I didn't hear it. And they're like, oh, no, you weren't in the room. And they're like apologizing to me for stuff when I wasn't even there. And so it's those little things that are, um, I think, so much uh, bigger um, for me personally. Um, how, how have you seen, um, even if it's not intentional, how have you seen exclusion happen within gender in the church? Um, one thing on the inclusion part that I just, this mm -hmm. isn't necessarily within the church, like the institution, but within the ministry that I work in, I've had a lot of coworkers and other folks who have been intentional to not use gendered language when they don't have to. <laughs> it's like, nice. instead of saying men and women, we're going to say people. <laughs> and instead of awesome. um, saying brothers and sisters, we're going to say Christian family, you know, and stuff like that. Love and that. Um, 
I've appreciated that, but even more so, I've had like um, non-binary students that will attend these spaces with me that have said that mm-hmm. they really appreciated that. Um, but uh, ways that I've experienced exclusion. Um, I have had experiences that one could call tragic <laughs> um, in within the church. I, I've served in... Um, as a deacon and in some other ways at my church. And I remember there was one time that uh, kind of like all the other deacons on the team had to sit down with me because um, they didn't want me to be seen representing the church the way that I dress. Like they, they were like, we can't, we don't want you to be upfront. We don't want you to like do any of these things if you're going to look like that. It was essentially like what they said <laughs> to me. <laughs> and so, so um, that was, it got kind of messy and then it got better. Um, I did feel like um, the pastors kind of like had my back in that. And I did like, I sort of had to explain to them. It's like, well, part of why I look this way is because I used to be really suicidal and this helps me not to be. And I would hope you would value that. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not trying to do something <laughs> here. I'm trying right. to live. Um, mm-hmm. And most of them did like sort of respect that and sort of like try to see my point of view but there was others that i could tell that it was just i think i made them uncomfortable and instead of kind of like questioning their own like how do i feel about gender (laughs) and like how how people exist around me and what i think i should expect from others they put theological words on it and said like we don't think this is okay from a jesus perspective um and that was really hurtful. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think there were ways even that kind of like um, they used uh, that verse from Ephesians 5 about like how we are to mutually submit to one another. They were like, um, well, like we will um, do some learning because that's what you're asking us to do. But if we do that, then we would like you to dress more feminine on Sundays. Um, so can we like mutually like <laughs> cave here essentially? It was just really uncomfortable. Um, yeah, so I think most of the ways that I have felt excluded at church has been around like things about appearances. Although I have also, there's times where there's like a particular structure like Bible studies that only exist as men and women's Bible studies. And yeah. I know that I would not necessarily be welcome in the men's Bible study, but to attend the women's Bible study is going to be something that does aggravate my experience of dysphoria. And so I feel like, well, I just won't participate because right. I, there's no good choice here. <laughs> and sometimes I, I wish that um, intentionally or otherwise, there would always be mixed gender spaces in church structures mm-hmm. so that I don't feel like I have to like choose between those two things. But yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I would say that for me, the exclusion has, has been more of this, the second kind, you know, that, that you described. It wasn't, I don't know, particularly in the church that I'm in right now, who's succeeding in so many ways, um, that it that it's really just when they have gendered spaces. Um, there's um, an addiction recovery group. There's a male group and a female group. And so there's like, and I've, you know, I've asked about a co-ed group and they just don't, they feel like it's important to keep those separate. Um, and so there, it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm just not doing that. And there's, 
know, when they have like men's breakfasts or women's breakfasts, the women's breakfasts are triggering the men's breakfast. Is it really worth it with all the questions that you would get? And identifying as non-binary means just that, that you don't really identify as either. So stepping into either space, it's not that saying, okay, Leslie, you can go to the men's spaces is necessarily the answer because that's not where I really want to be either. Um, and it's so easy to create these gender inclusive places that really the only thing you need to do to be gender inclusive is to just exclude any kind of gender label on it really, <laughs> um, you know, and it's the irony of that. But, um, and I, I think that churches are so used to, okay, well, we've got the, the women's groups and the men's groups and, and the this and that, that it doesn't even occur to them that there might be a population that's, that's having a hard time kind of fitting in there. Um, it's has there been um, a time that you felt like the church has really succeeded in in meeting you you know you mentioned uh, using your name and everything um, uh, has there been a time that you've really seen the church succeed or um, what do you think churches could do to be more inclusive other than what we've talked about or do you think there are other things that churches can do um, beyond the the things that I already names that I appreciated, like with um, people honoring, like the name I wanted to go by and things like that. Um, I don't know that I have seen major success, but um, one thing that felt really helpful and that I, I think could be helpful if more like church spaces engaged it. Um, in the ministry I work with, there are some cis staff who have taken really seriously um, like discipleship around their own gender. And what I noticed though, is that it felt different because a lot of like gender discipleship within the church is often like, here's a list of traits to be more of. You're already some of this, like be more of that. That's great. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then you're like a well-rounded man or woman. Um, but I see these like cis folks in the ministry that I work in, asking questions like, um, how do I, like, what are the assumptions that I'm making about my own gender or the ways that I use my gender to judge other people or um, the ways that I, like, assume righteousness in my gender <laughs> because it's just I'm cis and then it's fine. But kind of, like, being willing to interrogate the relationship to their gender rather than maybe just like how they express their gender in and of itself. And I think the ways that they've been willing to ask questions about their relationship to their gender has been really encouraging to me because it, it feels like it evens the playing field where we're like all asking the same questions. <laughs> that, and they're really helpful questions to ask. Like I've heard some of these cis folks express that like, oh, I learned something or I felt closer to Jesus in this because I was asking this question about how I relate to my gender. Um, so I think some like leveling the playing field in terms of discipleship would be really helpful um, for people of all gender identities within the yeah. church. That's that's really good. Um, you know, and it's funny because, you know, people who seem so, you know, going back to, to what it looks like culturally, people who seem so okay with their gender here, you take them and put them in another culture and they're so, they're equally un ill at ease with their gender there. Um, I went um, on a trip to, to Turkey, a mission trip, with someone who was fairly hyper-masculine. And, you know, so was very, all, you know, very much happy about being male and everything that, that had to do with being male. 
but as soon as he got over there, you know, we saw men walking around holding hands and, um, one of our guides just grabbed this, this person's hand and, you know, was like walking down the street with him and he freaked out. So it wasn't just that he was okay with, with his gender. He was okay with America's view of his gender and what he had been taught his gender was supposed to be by our society. Um, and it was really kind of entertaining for me because he's someone who, um, has had very conservative views, but had, had a leadership role over me. Um, and it was, it was, entertaining honestly just for me to see him having to struggle for the briefest of sec- of, of seconds was something that had been like a life lifelong pursuit for me to really understand what my gender meant and and what it meant to be comfortable in it um so totally kind of shifting the subject here um you said you hadn't seen this so we'll, we'll just kind of um talk about what we think about this as a it's kind of ironic with everything um going out right well not ironic but just timely with everything coming out right now so i'm not sure when this is going to be released but as we're recording it pray away came out less than a week ago Mm. so um you know we're all very much thinking about times that people have tried to change our orientation or change things um an article recently came out saying that or the title let's, let's just go with the title assuming that nothing else has been read about this article um and the question was posed is gender identity, um, trying to do reparative therapy for gender identity, the same thing as trying to do it for orientation? Um, and the title would lead you to believe that no, it's not different, that, that getting somebody to really understand masculinity and femininity could change their gender identity. Um, do you have thoughts on that that you would like to share? I'm sure you have thoughts on that, so I'll t- add that little tag on there of thoughts that you would like to share. Well... <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) Um, One of the most coherent ones that rises to the surface. uh, I was actually just talking earlier today with a friend of mine um, who was speaking with her therapist. And her therapist was mentioning that she does work with trans individuals um, because she notices that sometimes when people transition, they swing hard in one, like either towards the masculine or the feminine and the relationship to the other end of, if you want to call it a spectrum, uh, becomes kind of toxic and not helpful. And she does therapy um, just to help people like regain a good relationship with both. And I think that's really interesting. But to me, it brings up and it when I think of people, I think all people have some femininity and some masculinity. Like it's not like you just exist in a binary. It's one or zero, and you have nothing to do with the feminine if you were a man or something. And so I think. Um, in some ways, the idea of like a conversion therapy for gender identity is flawed to begin with because it's sort of suggesting that that there is no overlap or like that men and women are entirely different, distinct things. And like if you ever cross over to one side or the other where you quote unquote don't belong, that that's like a f- something broken to fix. I don't know. I, I have questions there, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, as far as, like, I do appreciate, for example, um, Mark Yarhouse's discussion on, like, finding different shades or levels of ways to deal with dysphoria, and that some people, like, would be okay with a level two, and other people need to go to level 10 to be able to manage their dysphoria. Like, I think that's a helpful conversation to have, and to the extent that that could maybe be called something like conversion therapy, then I guess, okay. But um, if we're talking about we need to make you 
or if someone told me, like, you need to go to therapy to become more feminine and to stop relating to anything masculine and to just identify as a woman, I would feel like they were attacking my, like, personality in a way that is unfounded. <laughs> it's like, my personality is fine. <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you suggesting? So I don't know. I have a lot of questions about the, the premises that some kind of, like, gender identity conversion therapy is even based on I don't know I don't know (laughs) yeah it's my biggest question going into it was um okay so we can talk about gender expression we can talk about gender roles and how we're going to redefine those and resettle those but when you're looking at someone who is dysphoric um and telling them that that there's some way that you can talk yourself out of that whatever that therapy looks like um are there healthier ways that that you can perceive yourself physically of course i mean we, we you know in our society we, we all tear tear our own bodies down regardless of your gender identity um but it, it just seemed kind of asinine to me and these are impressions going into it it's we're not going to talk about the actual contents yeah. of the article since <laughs> since you haven't read it but it just seemed kind of asinine going into it that um that, that somehow that you could talk me out of my dysphoria um I'm, if I were a 20 year old and you were trying to say that to me, maybe I would believe that it would happen, but um, it, it, I would believe it would happen. I don't know that it would actually happen. You know, just like with, with conversion therapy, with, with orientation, um, I'm pushing 50 and I'm telling you if there's a way to, like, to make my dysphoria go away, I would have figured <laughs> it out by now. Um, well, and I, um, I, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say that, um, There is a study that's referenced a few times in most of Yarhouse's books about gender identity and gender dysphoria, um, how like it it does, the experience does like desist for some youth that experience it. But the research seems to suggest that if a person uh, is still experiencing dysphoria after around the age like 25, 26, they're going to have it their whole life. Like it very rarely stops after that point. and yeah, like you're saying, at, to the extent that like a gender conversion therapy, it sort of like supports the idea that this is all just a choice in the first place. And if you could just like mental your way out of that, then you would be better. And it's like I don't, I don't think that that's accurate. Yeah, I love the way you put that. Mental your way out of this. Wave <laughs> <laughs> a little magic psychiatric wand, and all of a sudden you're cis. Yeah, um, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much uh for joining us though um this is um this has been like really kind of interesting and freeing to have a conversation and not have to stop and explain what all these words mean (laughs) um it was my gender identity ministry director like kicked in there several times and i want to be like and when we say that we mean (laughs) um but i really appreciate the time to just kind of and i i don't know if you experience this but times when you're around someone else who is dysphoric is or or experiences gender identity um not confusion, but just um, just being trans is is are, are certainly limited in my world here in East Tennessee. Um, that there's not a whole lot of option uh, opportunity for that. So I really just ex- enjoyed the last hour with you and being able to chat <laughs> with somebody and and be able to say something and then be like, yeah, of course. And then um, that that doesn't happen very often. So thank you for sharing everything and for being open. And yeah, this is this has been fun. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I also have appreciated it.